0: Guys, I should have been here at rehearsal today. Uh, You didn't join me uh, dancing around the stage to that song. No, actually, you probably wouldn't enjoy it, come to think of it. Hey, in your weekly update, uh, there is uh, one of these things. It's uh, the Holmes Ray Stress Test. So take that out. And uh, you might want to do this while I'm talking or if you want to take it home and uh, do it this afternoon. And basically the way it works, if any of these things are currently true of you or they've happened in the past uh, six months, you would circle it. And as you work your way down through here, you might find a number of things that uh, apply to you. Um, I noticed there's a thing, like something about changing your home situation. So I was thinking about my son graduating in just a few weeks, and that's a big stress inducer. And uh, you probably have quite a few of these. Uh, Some of you maybe have quite a few of them. Um, I, I was feeling pretty good about mine until I got down towards the end and noticed that there's actually stress points for taking a vacation I thought that was a stress reliever, you know, but I found out when I go on vacation in uh, June. That's actually a stress inducer, so uh, you can see how you do on that. Um, I uh, also came across some uh, interesting uh, pictures this week that uh, maybe you could identify with some of these. Moms, that would probably induce some stress. That's paint that they spread around. Or uh, how about this next one? If you came home and found that. Yeah, I know what that would mean for me. I wouldn't be stressed, but uh, the dog would be. Yeah, uh, this one, <laughs> uh, I apologize, maybe this is it. <laughs> so this is what kind of stress a chicken has, if they think they're in line for KFC. And then, ladies, in honor of you, here is your greatest stress reliever, right? A little chocolate, and the stress is gone, right? I guess for some guys, uh too. Well, if you were to add up all the numbers on that sheet, where would your stress level be? Um, We all have stress, don't we? And I think there are probably a dozen things that we could list that make it difficult for us to keep calm in our lives. We all want and need peace. Now, not world peace, although that might be nice, and not just peace with your neighbors, but peace in your hearts and inner rest for your spirit. Jesus told us that He is the source of that kind of peace. He said it this way one day. It's recorded in John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, I give you peace, the kind of peace that only I can give. It isn't like the peace that the world can give, so don't be worried or afraid. That's the kind of peace that we're looking for, isn't it? I had a conversation this week with a person here at Cross Point whose the course of their life journey over the past few months has been rather challenging, in fact, very difficult at times. But it stood out to me that this person, as they shared this conversation and were telling me some current things that are going on in their life, kept coming back to, but I have this sense of peace. And they clearly understood that that peace in their life came from Jesus came from their relationship with Jesus. And they just kept saying, even amidst a lot of struggles, I have peace. Paul, who is the writer of this section of Scripture that we've been studying for the last few weeks, certainly knew something about stress in his life. If you read his story in the Bible, you see that there was a time he was shipwrecked and nearly lost his life. You come to a time where um, he, multiple times, he's beaten and thrown into prison There are a lot of times that he is ridiculed because of his strong and definite belief in God. And in the midst of all this, though, he has some words for us about peace and its importance in our lives. In fact, he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. You see, peace is God's plan. It was His intention for our lives. Now, God never promised that He would take away all the struggles. In fact, uh, we're told that there will be struggles and there will be tragedies and there will be difficulties and there will be surprises. But God wants to give us, if we will let Him, God wants to give us peace in the midst of those struggles. So today I, I want to take us to another one of these beneath the surface issues. We're in this series called Iceberg, and we've uh, said all along that uh, seven-eighths of an iceberg is beneath the surface of the water. And in a similar way, so much of the direction of our lives is determined by what happens beneath the surface. And so we've been looking at some beneath-the-surface issues that Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 3. And so if you brought your Bible today, again, would you open it up to uh, Colossians chapter 3? And, uh, if you've been here, you've got that marked. If you're first, haven't been here for a while, uh, Colossians is about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then, uh, Colossians. I've been challenging you to take some time, um, every week during the series to sit down and at least one time a week read through Colossians chapter 3. How many of you were able to do that this week? Yeah, excellent. That is so good. And if you missed this week, then why don't you jump back in with us, uh, in this coming week and take some time to read through Colossians chapter 3 at least one time. The foundation of everything that Paul says here is found in the first two verses of Colossians chapter 3. And here's what he says as a reminder. He says, "...since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things." Paul says, "...because we have this new life as Christ followers in Jesus... We need to change our perspective, change our focus, and set our minds and our hearts on the things that are above But it starts beneath the surface in our lives. And today I want to look at another beneath the surface issue. Paul says, beginning in verse 15, that the peace of Christ should rule our hearts. The word rule is an athletic term it was used to describe someone who presides over the games. And in the Greek times there and the Greek games, there was a judge who would determine if a contestant was qualified or not. They determined in a sense what was right and wrong in the contest. We might think of them today as an official or an umpire. And Paul says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire, be the judge in your heart. Let it Control what happens in your heart. Let it determine what gets in and what doesn't. Let me try to explain it this way. People sometimes choose a lot of different things as the umpire in their heart and their life. For instance, some people choose to make money the umpire in their life. They decide they're going to let money control their heart. And their life becomes all about getting money and more of it no matter the consequences. That's what controls them. For some people, they decide that pleasure will be the umpire, the judge in their life. And pleasure is what controls them. Entertainment pleasure, sexual pleasure, football pleasure, food pleasure. And it's all about getting more no matter the consequences or who they may hurt. Or some people determine that power It is going to be the the umpire, the controlling force in their lives. That's what controls their hearts. But Paul says it is the peace of Christ that is to rule or to be the umpire in our hearts. And so if that's true, if the, the bills start to pile up, it is not the bills that control our attitude. It is the peace of Christ that rules in us. Or if our health goes bad, it is not our body that controls our attitude. It is the peace of Christ that rules in us. Paul says it's a choice though. We have to make the choice to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to be what is in the controlling seat of our hearts. And so Paul gives us some steps In Colossians chapter 3 and verses 15 through 17, some steps that we could take in our lives to make sure that peace rules, peace is the umpire, peace is the controlling force of our hearts every day. Listen to what he says, follow along here. Colossians chapter 3, again verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. But the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here's the first thing I noticed that Paul says. If you want to have peace, if you want peace to rule in your heart, and he says, first of all, be thankful. When you... Complain about your problems, your anxiety level rises. But when you spend your energy saying thank you to God for what He has done in your lives, your peace level rises. I happened across this week uh, a list that somebody created of eight things we ought to be thankful for. See if you identify with any of these. For automatic dishwashers, they make it possible to get out of the kitchen before the family comes in for their after-dinner snacks although even with a dishwasher at our house, it doesn't seem that happens with two teenagers. Uh, For husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house, they usually make them big enough to call in professionals. For children who put away their things and clean up after themselves, they're such a joy you hate to see them go home to their own parents. For teenagers, they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. For smoke alarms, they let you know when the turkey's done. Not at my house. Paul says, be thankful. When I was growing up in the church, there was a hymn we used to sing. It went something like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Anybody remember singing that song growing up? Yeah, a lot of you. You know what? We're not very good at that, if we're honest. We're really good at complaining. But we're not very good at saying thank you for our blessings. We're good at complaining. I don't know why we complain so much. Maybe we do it because we think we'll get some attention or some sympathy. I think we think our complaining is harmless. But you know what? Our complaining drives the peace out of our lives. And this, you may find this interesting, but the Old Testament actually indicates that complaining can make God angry. In fact, in Numbers chapter 11, God gets angry with the people of Israel because of their complaining. Listen to what it says, Numbers 11 verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. When He heard them, His anger was aroused. Now God had blessed the Israelites so abundantly in so many different ways, just as He has blessed us, and yet all they could do was go around and complain about all the things they didn't like, and finally God gets angry. And if you continue reading in Numbers chapter 11, at some point God actually sends down fire because of their complaining, and I think at least in part, God was angry with them because he under, realized that their complaining was driving the peace out of their lives. And the same thing happens in our lives when we spend so much time complaining. I heard a really old story about a, a grandfather who one day had his grandchildren over to the house and while they were there playing, he fell asleep in his chair and so they decided they'd play a little joke on him and they went and got some bug spray and sprayed it in his mustache. I would have thought that would have awakened him, but it didn't. He slept right through it. And uh, when he did awaken, he Ah, something stinks in here. He got up out of his chair and went into the kitchen and Ah, something stinks in the kitchen too. Throws open the back door, goes outside. Something stinks in the whole world. The whole world stinks. And actually the problem I know this is really not funny, it wasn't really meant to be funny. I'll make a point though. Um The problem was the the stink was right under his nose. And sometimes we spend a lot of time saying, the whole world stinks. You know, we complain about our schools and we complain about our job and we complain about our house and we complain about everything. It doesn't matter how good we have it, we find something to complain about. And all we're doing as we complain is to raise the anxiety level in our lives. Paul says, why don't you spend some time saying thank you to God because that will raise the level of peace in your life. There is plenty for us to be thankful about. There are scores and scores and scores of things that we could say thank you to God for. In fact, here's a little exercise for you. The next time you catch yourself complaining, you know, like 15 minutes after you leave here, stop yourself and force yourself either out loud or on a piece of paper to list five things that you're thankful for that God has done in your life. And as you change your perspective from complaining to saying thank you, see if the level of peace doesn't rise in your life. Secondly, Paul says if you want to have peace, be full of God's Word. Be full of God's Word. He talks about letting the Word of God dwell richly in your life. The word dwell means to, to feel at home. And so Paul is saying in essence, let the word of God feel at home in your life. Isn't there a difference between a guest and a dweller? If you have a guest at your house, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to decide what color to paint the interior of your house. They wouldn't, hopefully rearrange your furniture, they probably don't even get to choose what you watch on television. I mean, you might politely ask them, but you're really thinking, I'm going to decide what we watch on television. There is a difference. You see, a dweller makes those decisions. A dweller makes the changes. The one who lives there is the one who decides what color to paint the walls and how to arrange the furniture. Paul says, let the Word of God be a dweller in your life. Let the Word of God be the one that influences you and causes you to change. But my fear is that often we have treated the Word of God more like it is a guest in our life. We welcome it, but we don't really let it influence us and change us. In fact, you know what? If the only Word of God that you really get in your life is what you hear while you're here on Sunday morning, then there's an awfully good chance that you're just treating God's Word as if it's a guest in your life. It won't become a dweller until you take on the responsibility yourself to pick up God's Word and to read it for yourself every day. He says there, Paul says, to let it dwell richly in abundance. And when that happens, when it dwells richly in abundance, then the level of peace will begin to rise in your life. There's another thing that Paul says that we ought to do. He says we ought to worship. In fact, I'd say we ought to worship every day. He talks about singing songs with gratitude to God, and that is one form of worship. It's about having our attention on Him. Sociologists uh, did a study of some mountain climbers a number of years ago, and one of the things that they noticed as they were studying these mountain climbers is that on the days when there were no clouds and you could see the peak to which they were climbing, there was, a, there was energy, there was enthusiasm in the group. But on days when the clouds covered the peak and they couldn't see where they were climbing to, there was a, a down attitude, kind of a selfish attitude. There wasn't a lot of energy in the group. And it's true for us. When we keep our eyes, our attention on the majesty and the greatness and the power of God, there is a, there's a bounce in our step. There's an energy in our life. And there is peace in our hearts. But when we focus on the dirt of life around us, we lose that energy. And the anxiety level rises. And we become wrapped up in what's going on instead of being focused on the majesty and the power of God. That's why Paul said at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. What a difference it would make in our lives if we focused our attention on the things that are happening around God, on His majesty and power. Maybe you know the story of Job from the Old Testament. He certainly had a high level of stress. He found himself in the midst of horrible circumstances, very difficult suffering. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. His body was attacked by illness. It was a horrible, horrible time in his life. And for the first 37 chapters of the book of Job, you find Job asking a lot of questions just like we probably would. You find him getting a lot of advice from friends which he probably shouldn't have been getting from them. And so all that goes on and it's almost as if God just lets him do His own thing for 37 chapters. And then at the beginning of Job 38, it's as if God says, okay, Job, enough. Now I want you to listen to Me. I've got some questions for you. And here's what God says to him. He asked Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone?" Then a little later, God says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? And a little later, Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, Here we are? You know what God was saying to Job? Job, quit focusing on the dirt of life. I know what you're going through is terrible. It's hard. It's difficult. But quit focusing on that. Change your focus and focus on me. Focus on the majesty and the power and the greatness of God. Remember, I'm the one, Job, that put the earth into motion. I'm the one that's laid its foundation. I've been to the storehouses of of snow and hail. I'm the one that sends the lightning. Quit focusing on your struggles and get your attention on me. See, our our inclination is to focus on what's happening around us. But if we want the level of peace to rise in our lives, we will focus our lives on the majesty and the power and the greatness of God. Now, let me give you some practical suggestions about how to make sure that happens every day in your life. For one, I would uh, suggest to you that you ought to make this a part of your prayer life. I mentioned this a a few weeks ago, that our tendency in our prayer is we come to God and we've just got this big long list of, God, I want you to do all these things for me. Here, do them. Which God wants us to ask for those things. But you know what He also desires from us and what will help the peace level in our lives rise if we will take some time to declare and to verbalize the majesty and the greatness of God in our prayer life if we will take some time to be reminded that He is the One who created everything. He's the One who has the power. A second very practical thing that I would suggest is that you would find some Christian music that you listen to. And you would listen to it throughout the week. You know, I'm a listener occasionally of talk radio and I'm a fairly regular listener of 770 ESPN. But here's what I've discovered. When that's all I listen to in the car, when that's all that's filling my heart and mind for days at a time, the anxiety level in my life rises. But when I balance that, because those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when I balance that in my life with some music that exalts the majesty and the power and the greatness of God, it helps the peace level to rise in my life. So I'd encourage you. To do that. Another thing is that I would encourage you to talk in your conversations, to verbalize with others about the power and the greatness and the majesty of God. Talk about it. In your circles of friends, whether it's appropriate in the conversation, and when something happens that you know is a result of the majesty and the power of God, don't just think it to yourself, but verbalize it. Because it's a way of honoring God and keeping your focus on Him. And then I'd encourage you, you need to find some time every week or as often as you can just to be quiet and reflect. And those moments are hard to come by at the, in the pace of life that we live. But it's so important for us to have some moments occasionally where it's just quiet and we can reflect on who God is in our lives. There's one more thing that Paul says. He says that we ought to live with purpose. Listen again to what he says in Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything you do, Paul says, do it for Jesus. Everything. You know, a a few years ago there was this incredible, I guess we could call it a fad now, with the whole what would Jesus do, the bracelets and the shirts and the hats and people wearing those and athletes having those on, and that was really a good thing. But I, you know, I realized the, the fad is kind of old now, kind of out of style, kind of in the past, which maybe is not a bad thing in some ways. But you know what? The, the question still applies. The question is still good. What would Jesus do? That's what I should do. Whatever it is that He would do, that's what I ought to do. And Paul says, as we will live with that kind of purpose, the purpose of everything that I am doing, I am doing for Jesus, the level of peace will rise in our lives. But when I live for myself, when I live trying to achieve the approval of others, when I live with the goal of achieving success or having a bigger house or more of this or more of that, the anxiety level rises in my life. Because that kind of focus, the focus that is on me and what I'm going to accomplish, makes it difficult, if not impossible, for peace to rule in our lives. Lowell Bud Paxson was the creator of the Home Shopping Network and later Pax TV and several other entities. Early in his career, as he was climbing the corporate ladder He was not a Christ follower, and his life was a wreck. Marriage was failing, and while he was making a lot of money, everything else was crumbling in his life. But Bud Paxson met Jesus and invited him to become the leader of his life. And so much about his life changed. He was speaking at a large gathering of stockbrokers in uh, New York, I think it was, on October 19, 1987. 1,800 people or so were supposed to be there. and he. Uh, but when he showed up in the afternoon to speak at this session, there were only about 20 people in the room. And if you remember history very well, that was one of those times that the stock market took a huge crash. Paxton said as he left that day and he walked down the hall, he quit counting so far down the hall the number of men that he saw in three-piece suits who were literally crying their eyes out because they had lost thousands and millions of dollars and they had lost their sense of security. And somebody later asked Paxson about him. He asked, well, what about you? How did you feel on that day? Because he lost maybe like $100 million, the article I read said. You know what he said, though? He said, I'm so glad that I was at a point in my life where my security was no longer in my possessions. My security was in God you want to have peace in your life, it's about finding your security in Jesus and allowing the peace that He gives us to rule in our hearts. And here's the truth. There are some of you in this room that have never experienced that kind of peace. In fact, as I'm talking today, you're thinking, I want that, but I'm not sure what that looks like. And I'll tell you what the reason is. It's because you've never allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You have never invited Him to come in and save you from your sins. You've never invited Him to be the leader of your life. You've never acknowledged that you have sinned and that Jesus died on the cross to take away those sins. You have never confessed with your mouth that you want Him to be the leader of your life. You've never accepted Jesus. And I will promise you this. Until Jesus is a part of your life, you cannot have the peace that Paul describes and the peace that so many of us have experienced. And so my encouragement to you today and the opportunity I would give you is that before you leave this place, I'll be down here in the front as we wrap things up. I would love to talk with you and pray with you and help you to invite Jesus to be the leader of your life. Invite Him into your heart so that you can know the peace that so many of us have experienced. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for peace peace that I have experienced in my life, even in the midst of difficult times. A peace that only comes from You. God, we want more of that peace. And so, Father, would You help us to take to heart the things that Paul has said, the things that happen beneath the surface of our lives. God, would You help us to let peace rule in our lives. Father, as we do, I know the difference it will make. Thank You for Your promise. In Jesus' name we pray.